You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello, I'm John Donvan, host of Intelligence Squared U.S. The government shutdown is a dramatic display of the growing strife, not just between the Republicans and the Democrats, but also within the Republican Party itself. Some are even saying that the government shutdown calls into question the effectiveness of the American political system. That makes a debate we held back in 2011 all the more relevant today. The motion that night was the two-party system is making America ungovernable. The team that was arguing for the motion and lamenting the state of affairs over the two-party system included Ariana Huffington, who's co-founder and editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post, and New York Times op-ed columnist David Brooks. The team arguing against them and saying the sky is not falling included political satirist P.J. O'Rourke and columnist Zev Chefitz. Let's take a listen now to how well their arguments connect to today. In her opening statement, Arianna Huffington argued that the two-party system is no longer capable of producing real results, particularly when the nation is in the middle of a major crisis. But look around. The favorability ratings of the two parties are constantly declining. Wherever you look, you see that we can only produce suboptimal solutions to our deepest crisis. And, you know, for many, many years, we've kind of postponed solving our big problems. We've postponed dealing with our deficit. We've postponed dealing with the decline of the middle class. We've postponed dealing with our deteriorating education system. Well, we can no longer keep postponing dealing with these problems. So while the two-party system might have been okay, during the ordinary times, we are not living in ordinary times right now. And the problem with the two-party system is that it has made us really all prisoners of conventional wisdom. It's made us kind of look at every political problem through that obsolete prism of right versus left. In fact, our political problems are not susceptible to that easy, completely reductionist way of looking at them. P.J. O'Rourke took the opposite side as the next speaker, claiming that the two-party system is not the problem at all. And in fact, he says, voters need to take more responsibility for the problems at hand. You know, I agree with, with Ariana about the utter cowardice and perfect ineffectuality of the two major political parties in dealing with any of the political problems that we face. And I would simply concede the debate if... I were able to imagine some other political party or independent candidate who would do a better job. It's like trying to imagine a politician who would get up on the campaign stump and say, I can't fix public education. The problem isn't underfunding or overcrowding or teachers' unions or absence of computer equipment in the classroom. The problem is your damn kids. The problem is us damn voters. You know, it's not our, not our political parties, be they few or many. We have voted ourselves more government benefits than we care to pay for. And we're broke. 
Next to speak was David Brooks, who explained how his years of closely covering politicians had led him to a different view on the gridlock in Washington. Unlike P.J. O'Rourke, he doesn't blame the voters or even the politicians. He blames the two-party system itself. In light of the government shutdown, his thoughts on politicians may surprise you. I would say, in general, they're better people than one would anticipate. Most of them are in it for the right reason, but they're stuck in a rotten system. They're stuck in our current two-party system, which forces them to behave in ways that are worse than they are. First of all, they cannot be entrepreneurial. They cannot think for themselves because they have to hew the party line. They get every Tuesday, they go to a lunch, they get the message of the week, they have to parrot the message of the week. It's a soul suck. They can't behave nicely or even get to know the people in the other party because they're unofficial barriers. Ariana talked about how the big problems are therefore not addressed because they are stuck in these little trenches. I would talk about today's story, the issue of the budget. We are facing a fiscal meltdown in this country, and if you took individuals outside the party context that we have now, I bet we could all cut a deal. We could figure out what taxes need to go up and what spending needs to go down. But we're stuck in this dysfunctional marriage. We probably need a third party, but we certainly need a de-alignment. We need more movements to come in and affect the parties so people are less hewn to these tribal parties, and that's what the parties have become. They are no longer the normal political groupings that they were 20 or 30 years ago. They've become tribes where your honor is attached to your tribe, and any compromise seems like a sign of shame and dishonor, and therefore they're not willing to do it. The final speaker making an opening statement, Zev Chefitz, author and political columnist, and he reminded the audience that the U.S. has weathered many political and financial crises thanks to the two-party system. America has always been in unusual times. That's how it always seems to people when they're alive, that they're living in unprecedented times. Uh, In the 1920s, America confronted the prohibition, which made it seem that the country was ungovernable and also, uh, you know, no place to get a drink. Um, uh, In the 1930s, there was a depression in this country, which uh, was far worse than the economic situation uh, that obtains today, obviously. In the 1940s, America was able to mobilize itself uh, to go to war against Nazi Germany and Japan, even though there was a strong sentiment in this country not to go to war, an America first sentiment. In the 1950s, we all, those of us who are old enough to remember, used to hide under our desks. But in the event, America won the Cold War. Um, In the 1960s, the halcyon days of our youth, of my team anyway, um, (laughs) we not only were living in an ungovernable society, but we were contributing to it, uh, and happily. The 1970s were Watergate. A disaster. It was the end of American democracy. The president was forced to step down. Never happened before. Uh, Somehow the country survived those extraordinary times. And what brought it through each time was the two-party system, which is the stable and consistent system in this country. It's what provides stability for the United States. The American system is a resilient system. Those points that Zev Chaffetz just made, I brought to David Brooks during the question and answer section of the debate, asking if there is something different about the two-party system as it exists in the 21st century, or will the kinks just work themselves out? So, David Brooks, why is it different this time? Uh, Because it wasn't always thus. Uh, If you go back to, say, 30 years ago, and you look at the two parties, in the first place, the two parties overlapped. Now they do not. There's no common ground between them. 
In the second place, if you look at the things they were able to do, like tax reform in 1986, you had a whole series of bipartisan agreements. If you cover Congress the way I do, you had in those days a whole series of personal relationships. That simply doesn't exist, and that's so one you, of the you reasons— think there was something of a golden era, a silver era. No, there was a period of constructive competition. They fought. Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton. I, I regard that as highly polarizing. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but, but they fought to balance each other's weaknesses, and now they, don't f- they fight to stagnate. I think this is a normal uh, – uh, uh, the, the bipartisan ideal is always like a little worrisome to me. I consider actually the two most dangerous words in Washington to be bipartisan consensus. It's kind of like when my, 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 my wife and, and my doctor and my lawyer all agree that I need help. You know, I just – it just it, – it concerns me a little bit. I'm, I'm glad to sit here and criticize the two-party system. I, I don't have that much good to say about it. The alternative – what is the alternative? My biggest concern is that in a multi-party system, it leads to power in small, screwy ideologies. You know, well, the let me, garden let me put to the side arguing, party. For, arguing that you think that the system is making America ungovernable. Are you arguing for a better functioning two-party system, or are you arguing for a multi-party system? Well, we are arguing for something that will shake up the current dysfunctional system. But why? And that, but well, why? Here, I don't want the, the garden gnome party no. holding the balance of power. Ariana has the mic. garden gnomes everywhere. Let Ariana have the mic. <laughs> but the truth at the moment is that as an immigrant to this country, as somebody who has lived the American dream, I'm fully aware of the fact that the American dream is dying for millions of Americans. I have two daughters in college, and a growing number of their friends are graduating from college and they can't get jobs. We have 26 million Americans at the moment who are either unemployed or underemployed, and we don't have any plan that the two parties seem to be capable of, of how to bring jobs about. So there is a huge dysfunctionality, and the results are really incredibly profound. I mean, they're changing the nature of this country. Upward mobility has been at the heart of the American dream. Now, we are number 10 when it comes to upward mobility. We are behind France and Germany. Excuse me, but being behind France in upward mobility is like France being behind us in croissants and afternoon sex. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our debate for this evening. (laughs) And going to a question from the audience, gentlemen. My question is for the the side in favor of it. In my native Canada, there's about 80,000 people for every... Uh, member of parliament, and we have a chance to meet them uh, much more than here, where there's about 800,000 people for every, for, every member, or for every member of the House. And I'm wondering if it's a problem with the two-party system, or is, is the country just too large to be governed? There are many multi-party countries in Northern Europe that are much better governed than us, okay. but they're smaller. I, I guess I would say, uh, first, I was born in Canada, Bula Bula. Uh, uh, you know... I'm actually not sure that's it because members of Congress fly home every weekend. That's one of the reasons their lives are so miserable. And they hold town meetings. Uh, And a a lot of places, I'm at the flight, not the getting there. Uh, uh, They hold town meetings, and if they can get 30 or 50 people to show up, they're happy. They love to meet people. They spend a lot of time meeting people. I don't think that's it. I I don't think it's when they go home that the problem is. I think it's when they come to Washington. 
and are surrounded by a psychological vortex. I just want to make that explicit. I think the psychology within the parties has changed. And Peter, I think you're almost arguing that the bluntness uh, by design of a, of a large system of two parties that you feel have a lot of ideological overlap is perfect for a gigantic country like this one. Well, I, I think that, that it is because I, I, I think that the uh, intrusion of, uh, of third parties and, and other interests just has a tendency to act as a sort of spoiler uh, situation, basically throwing the you know the race to George W. Bush in, in, instead of to Al Gore, who would have been such a wonderful president. Uh, is the, uh, the uh, I do I do think it, it, it suits us. It, one of the problems, of course, is when we when we face a kind of crisis like we have at the moment that is both extremely pressing and yet, unlike Pearl Harbor, is not perfectly immediate, our system is extremely slow to respond. Uh, Do we want to live in a country with a political system that is a little too slow to respond, or do we want to live in one of those countries where the political system is a little too quick to respond? I pick... Slowness, myself. Which system would you prefer? Well, that evening, P.J. O'Rourke and Zev Chefitz, the team arguing against the motion that the two-party system is making America ungovernable, won the debate. Two years have passed since we held that debate, and a lot has changed. But what about your thoughts on the two-party system? Have they changed as well? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our debate archives at intelligencesquaredus.org to cast your vote on the motion, The Two-Party System is Making America Ungovernable. You'll find that debate in its entirety in our archives as well. Join us for our next debate. It is Break Up the Big Banks. It'll be held live in New York City on October 16th, and tickets are still available on our website, www.intelligencesquaredus.org. And if you can't make it to the event, you can watch the debate from the comfort of your own home. You will be live streaming video of that debate on our website. And if you missed the live stream, fear not, the podcast of our next debate, Break Up the Big Banks, will be available on iTunes on October 23rd. Thank you so much for listening, and remember... To think twice.